thanks Willie for the worship. This morning we are continuing in our series, the journey to the cross, focusing on the essence of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. In a sermon entitled, Examine Your Assumptions. Examine Your Assumptions. From Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, which we just read together. This story of the triumphal entry of Jesus is also found in parallel passages of Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 11, Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 40, and John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. So before we delve into the word of God, could we just pause for a word of prayer? Why don't you rise to your feet as we pray? God, our eternal Father, I stand in the humility before your people to share your word. I pray that you may use me as a spokes vessel to articulate your oracles. Prepare our hearts to be receptive to the voice of the spirit beyond the voice of the preacher. We acknowledge your presence in this place. May the meditation and the words of my mouth be acceptable and honorable in your sight, O Lord my God and my Redeemer. In the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Examine your assumptions is the title of the message. But the big idea question that we have before us is what is an assumption? What is an assumption? According to an online vocab dictionary, an assumption is something that you assume to be true, even without evidence or proof. For example, people might make the assumption that you are a nerd if you wear glasses, even though that may not be necessarily true. Any society is built upon certain assumptions. As a matter of fact, we all have our own assumptions, implicit and explicit biases, worldviews, traditions, cultural norms or religious beliefs, expectations, practices, and presuppositions through which we see the world and assign meaning to it as well as interact 
with others. Somebody once said, we make all kinds of assumptions because we don't have the courage to ask the right questions. Since things are not always what they seem to be. And it's okay to ask sincere questions in order for you to gain clarity. Unfortunately, we have a habit of making false or wrong assumptions and quick judgments about people and events without any ounce of evidence. Therefore, don't make assumptions. And I hope you find courage next time to ask meaningful, thoughtful, empathic questions before you make up your mind about anything or anybody. For example, we often assume evil occurs to people because of sin in their lives, like Job's friends who accused him of harboring sin for the calamity that had befallen him. It's sad that we often ignore the fact that Suffering is not a sign of one's lack of faithfulness to God. Being sick is not a sign of lack of faith. Neither is it divine punishment for living in sin. Here is another example. We often assume that the people we disagree with don't deserve our compassion and kindness. In fact, as one Avid Christian blogger says, how we treat people that we strongly disagree with is a report card on what we've learned about love, compassion, kindness, and humility. We also need to stop assuming that the people who are doing things in a different way are doing things in a wrong way. We also need to take personal responsibility and quit thinking that everything that goes wrong is other people's fault and not ours. All those are assumptions that we live with every day. So stay away from the temptation of thinking that you are always right in your judgments. And avoid judging people by the color of their skin, their demographic, or their standing in society, but by the content of their character, as Martin Luther King Jr. once remarked. Because prejudice and stereotypes are some common ways in which we make wrong assumptions. As Elia mentioned, we all have assumptions about almost everything. Assumptions about God, 
assumptions about church, public behavior, how to interact with others, and what we think about the Bible and others based on their outward appearance, statistics, or demographics. However, the question is, have you ever stopped and challenged or examined your assumptions, your biases, and your presuppositions with the word of God? Have you? Have you ever considered the fact that you could be wrong in your beliefs? Because while we all have our own assumptions, they could be based on wrong beliefs, misguided zeal, or ungodly motives. In fact, let's not assume anything about anybody or anything because making assumptions could possibly lead to sin. Now, in case you're wondering, where is he going with this? Let's go back to our text. It was Passover week, which coincided with the Holy Week, also called the Passion Week. Jesus and Gentile believers came to the city of Jerusalem for Passover and to worship in the temple. The Roman authorities were on hand to ensure nothing would happen to disturb the peace of Rome. And then something happened. Jesus entered Jerusalem riding a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. He was coming to Jerusalem as a Messiah, the Son of God. He was coming out in the open and claiming to be the Messiah because it was now time. Remember how Jesus told his disciples and other people not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah? Well, this time Jesus is out in the open claiming to be the Messiah without saying a word. By just riding on the donkey, he's making a statement and the religious establishment understand loud and clear what he's talking about. However, some people assumed that Jesus was an imposter who deserved to die for claiming he is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. And by the end of the week, Jesus would be dead. However, that was God's plan from the beginning. And that's what Satan wanted to stop Jesus from doing. He wanted Jesus to cut a shortcut to get the crown without the cross. But it was prophesied from the very beginning that while the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And Satan knew the plan of God. And he wanted Jesus not to go to the cross. The Roman 
occupiers. The Jewish community, the Jewish religious leaders, and the disciples alike all had their religious, cultural, and contextual assumptions upon which they assigned meaning to the triumphal entry. One pastor says, from the Roman point of view, there was nothing great about Palm Sunday. After all, what happened was almost nothing compared to what happened in Rome. Whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil, killing the enemy and gaining new territory, he was given a triumphal parade when he returned home to Rome. The victorious general would enter the city displaying spoils of war as trophies and parading the enemy leaders he had captured. The parade ended at the arena where some of the captives would entertain the people by fighting wild beasts while people cheered. Compared to this, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem seems small and inconsequential. So the Romans were oblivious to it. Yet as we will find out, the Roman view was not the only assumption about the triumphal entry. The Jewish religious leaders had their own assumptions about the triumphal entry. The Pharisees did not think with Matthew that Jesus would be the Messiah, King, prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the fowl of a donkey. You see, the religious establishment planned to stop Jesus before the Romans woke up from their stupor and mistake the crowds following Jesus for an insurrection. Many people had believed in him and were following in great numbers, especially from Bethany, where Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead. So in John chapter 11, verse 45, the, John says, Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb for four days put their faith in him. And then John chapter 12, verse 12 to 13 also says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the Passover heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Luke adds, in chapter 19, verse 39 to 40, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out, Blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name 
of the Lord. So the religious leader's assumption was that Jesus could not be the Messiah because he was from the despised town of Nazareth of Galilee. Philip once said, can anything good come out of Nazareth of Galilee? Can anything good come out of this village or omelet? Micah chapter 5 verse 2 had prophesied back then in the Old Testament. And you Bethlehem, though you are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet out of you shall come a ruler who will rule my people Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. So the chief priests and Pharisees suddenly realized with shock, like they woke from slumber, that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, even though Jesus himself was not baptizing only his disciples were baptizing. You find that in John chapter 4 verse 1. But John chapter 12 verse 19 says, The Pharisees said their efforts were getting them nowhere, no matter what they did, to control Jesus and his crowds. They were getting nowhere, no matter what they did. So John chapter 11 verse 46 to 47 says, The Pharisees plotted and resolved to kill Jesus saying it's better for one person to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. They later sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus, who gave orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should be able to report it to the authorities so that they may arrest him. Now, you see, beloved, Assumptions can drive us to do outrageous things, just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the priests questioned, examined, watched, accused, challenged, tried to arrest Jesus, and plotted to kill him. All based on wrong assumptions. So it's not the world that killed Jesus or that betrayed Jesus. It's the religious establishment that refused to accept Jesus because of assumptions. Beware of assumptions. They'll make you do what you didn't think you are capable of doing. You will be shocked at your own actions because of assumptions. Remember that all assumptions carry with them particular biases and motives that may lead us to do bad things and treat others with contempt. Let's make sure that we guard against wrong assumptions with the truth from the word of God. I hope you realize that making assumptions about others reveals more about the condition of your heart 
than it does about other people. In fact, assumptions may lead to self-righteousness, gossip, bitterness, pride, and holier-than-thou attitudes. Which brings us to our second point. The crowd had their own assumptions about the triumphal entry. So not only did the religious establishment have their own assumptions, the crowd also had their own assumptions. What did Palm Sunday mean to the people of Israel? The pilgrims had welcomed Jesus and waved palm branches, which were a traditional symbol of victory. And they laid their clocks on the road for their new king. From the perspective of the crowds, it, took, it looked as though Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to incite a revolution and to establish himself as the promised Messiah and King. Finally, in fulfillment of prophecy, their Messiah, their Savior had come, they thought. Finally, he was going to overthrow the Roman oppressors and set up the perfect kingdom from, for the Jews. And so they thought. However, the crowd will soon discover that this king wasn't what they expected. He was there to set up an he was not there to set up an earthly political kingdom. Their assumptions were premature and wrong. He was a spiritual king, not an earthly one. At least that's what he said, that my kingdom is not of this world. And his ultimate victory over sin and death would be more than freedom from their political oppression. It would deliver many from the power of sin, including Gentiles. Only days later, the same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, would shout, crucify him. And yet it didn't change Jesus' purpose or his actions. Jesus' purpose was not dependent on human approval or praise. Right from the cross, he was still praying for his enemies. Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He was still preaching the gospel of love as he was dying. Which brings us to our last point. I'll get back to point number two when I come to the application. I'm just going to do one application for both point two. And point three. The disciples had their own assumptions about Palm Sunday. So not only did the religious establishment have their own assumptions, not only did the crowd have their own assumptions, the disciples also had their own assumptions. What did Palm Sunday mean to the disciples? 
John says in chapter 12, verse 16, At first, disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about Jesus and that they had done these things to him and for him. Together with the crowd, the disciples did not understand what was happening on Palm Sunday. They lacked the perspective of the cross and the grave. In fact, didn't Peter rebuke Jesus when he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed into the hands of Gentiles and be killed and after three days come back to life? Peter said, no, that will not happen to you. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me. I think he was addressing the devil, not Peter. So the disciples did not realize how Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. They did not realize Jesus was the promised Messiah who would suffer and die. They did not realize that God's salvation plan was being carried out right now, on time. However, after the cross and the grave, when the glorified and ascended Jesus Christ sent his spirit at Pentecost, then they understood. They needed the ministry of the Holy Spirit who guides and leads us into all truth. That's what Jesus said when he promised the Holy Spirit. Today we have the privilege of hindsight. We know what the disciples did not see until Good Friday, Easter, and Pentecost. Then they understood and believed. Unlike the disciples, we know the end of the Passion Week story. That's why we are not somber. We're only somber because we are reflecting on the suffering of Jesus. But we know the end of the story already. Jesus will be crucified on the cross and he's going to be buried and he's going to come back to life triumphantly defeating all the powers of darkness and making a public spectacle of them. He's going to ascend to heaven and he will be glorified. He's already been glorified. We know that. The disciples did not know. So as we watch the events of Holy Week begin to unfold, we come alive to this fact which was dedicated to God through the example that Jesus gives us. The ways of Jesus, the ways of God are beyond human understanding. Quit cleaning 
to your assumptions. You don't know what God is doing. He'll blow your mind. Which brings us to our application as we begin our descent. We see that Israel, including the disciples, desperately wanted the Messiah to come. Hundreds of years of hoping, waiting, and crying out to God. All led to the triumphal entry. The people of Israel led, read the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And that's why they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, quoting the Psalms. Because the title, Son of David, was a messianic title reserved for the coming king who would be a descendant of David's royal bloodline and retake the throne of Israel. So by saying this, they were affirming Jesus as the promised Messiah and fulfillment of prophecy. No wonder the Pharisees were so upset. But it turns out that Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought he was going to be. Jesus was arrested. He didn't fight back. He didn't resist. He didn't call on the God of angel armies to send the angels ready for battle against the Romans and the establishment. He didn't say anything to defend himself. Apparently, Jesus was not the warrior Messiah the crowds were anticipating because Jesus was crucified and he is now dead on Good Friday. They walked away from the cross, disappointed, their hopes crushed. The downcast disciples walking to Emmaus expressed well the sentiments of the moment we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You find that in Luke chapter 24, verse 21. The psalm, the Palm Sunday story, quickly changed from expectation to disappointment. The triumph becomes a trial that leads to the cross. Jesus entered the city on a donkey, but we know he will leave wrapped in grave clothes. Israel wanted a savior who would establish his kingdom on earth and defeat their oppressors and enemies. But Jesus had a different kingdom in mind. Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom on earth. He came to establish his kingdom in our hearts. He didn't enter Jerusalem that day to defeat the Romans. He had a different enemy in mind. He came to Jerusalem to defeat sin, death, and the devil with his allies. As the week went on, the people realized Jesus wasn't going to get rid of the Romans. They wanted nothing more to do with him. Crucify him, they shouted. Now let's apply the story to our lives, away from the disappointment of the crowd who welcomed Jesus 
to Jerusalem. Because today we still have certain assumptions about God and the Bible. When they are proved wrong, we feel disappointed by God. Sometimes we feel like God has left and let us down in many ways. We call out like David, who cried over and over again in the Psalms, God, where are you? When will you act? How long, O oh Lord? I believe that our disappointments and hurts are many. Health issues, broken and damaged relationships, loved ones who abandon their faith and family values, perpetual financial difficulties, COVID-19 social restrictions, which have continued for more than a year now, and leading to loneliness and depression for many, leading to domestic violence, child abuse, brokenness, and moral failure. We feel disappointed when we experience these things because we had unrealistic assumptions of how things ought to be. In hopelessness, we may even be tempted to abandon our faith in God because it didn't fit our assumptions. He didn't come through for us when we really needed him the most. We said, if he is God, why didn't he come through for me? You see, since most of us would prefer a domesticated Jesus, one who brings peace and security, one who makes life easy and happy for us, but that is not what Jesus came to do. He is the savior of the world, not a superhero. Jesus did not come to eliminate our suffering from the world. He came to be with us in those times of suffering. Those times of pain and loss and disappointment. He came to suffer with us. That's how he showed us that he is a high priest who cares for us in our suffering because he lived and walked where we walk. In summary, we've looked at the assumptions about the meaning of Palm Sunday for the Jewish leaders, the crowds, and the disciples of Jesus. Now, since we all have assumptions, the question is, what assumptions and presuppositions about people, the Bible, and God, and life in general, do you need to examine, abandon, and repent from? I hope we can all surrender and cast our brokenness and assumptions at the foot of the cross and walk away in the freedom that only Jesus provides for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, our eternal Father, we thank you for the preaching of your word. 
We do pray that, Lord, you may continue to drive this word to our hearts and give us the courage to apply this word in our lives. Brood upon the revelation we have received today. May it germinate and bear much fruit in our lives. Fruit that is going to last to the glory of your great name. Help us to abandon our prejudices and assumptions that hinder the power of God to work in our lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be a good example of what love, compassion, kindness looks like as we live for you in this broken and wicked world. Help us to be light in darkness to the glory of your great name. As we part company, we pray that you may go before each one of us. Because we pray and ask in the mighty name of Jesus. And somebody in the house said, Amen. Thank you.